The problem with life is that it's lived in the now. If you think about it, your life is a series of now moments. It's a series of actual events. As far as we're concerned, this is all there ever is and all there ever will be. This moment here together. Life is lived in the now and that can be a bit of a problem. For example, this is what I drive now. Now granted, my minivan is not quite that old and busted. But you get the point, it's a minivan. No 17-year-old ever sat daydreaming in math class about one day owning a minivan. It just doesn't happen, it's just the truth. But this is what I drive now. Let's illustrate the difficulty of the now. You see, this is what I used to drive back when I was cool. 90s jeans notwithstanding. Posted this on social a few weeks ago, and I had like shocked reactions from Grace people. Like, what? You used to have a bike? Now you're so lame? That's what I drove back then. Of course, we can always hope for a brighter tomorrow. This one I'm going to drive someday. Uh, someday. Problem is, we're stuck in the now. And if you know anything about life, you know that the now tends to be quite difficult. Right? Can you relate? The now tends to be quite difficult. What we really need is somebody to come to our rescue. Wouldn't that be great? Think of all the times when it would just been awesome if Superwoman could have swooped in to save you. That would have been, hi, Superwoman, you're as good looking in real life as you are on TV. Thank you for coming to save me. Somebody to come to our rescue. Somebody to tell us that thing you're worried about, it's already done. Wouldn't that be the best? You had, some, you had your own personal Jesus, in the words of the old Pet Shop Boys sound, song. Is it Pet Shop Boys? Your own personal. Anyone else in the 80s with me? No, it's Depeche Mode. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares. Excellent song. Terrible theology. But it'd be nice to have, right? Someone comes along and says, already done. Like, I'm feeling kind of hungry. I could use a snack. Boom, it's already done. That'd be great, right? Like, this pizza just appeared out of nowhere. I don't know how that happened. Are you in your 20s? Maybe for you, is your 30s? Starting to think about, you know, maybe I could have a life partner. First social thing you walk into, boom, there she is. It's already done. You're like, ooh, there must be a God in heaven. Of course, 20 years later, it's going to happen. You and that beautiful spouse of yours. We're going to be awfully tired and broken because of your kids. They're going to destroy your life. <laughs> I have proof of this. I say this a lot, right? And you're like, well, I don't know, Todd. Sounds a little hyperbolic. My children were away for two weeks straight. And my house stayed clean. <laughs> we now have scientific evidence that it's their fault. <laughs> you know, it's their fault. We have great hope for the future. We're like, whoo, someday we're going to live in paradise. <laughs> now I understand why my mom's house and Sharon Barker's house always look like something out of Architectural Digest. It's crazy. <laughs> Sue Bitten's house, same thing. Diana Gamble's house, same thing. It's crazy. I'm like, because there's no, I was feeling so bad about myself. 
But then I realized, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. So you'll be with that spouse. You'll be thinking, you know, ooh, we could really use a vacation. Poof, it's already done. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice. Do anybody here for the first time today? If you're brave, show me your hand. First new visitor. Okay, there you go. So uh, that's for you. Safe travels. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just uh, take a trip? I'm not going to tell you what's in it, though. And I paid for it myself just so y'all don't get all uptight about he's running loose and wild with our budget. I paid for it myself. So if you want to find out what it is, you're going to meet those two new people right there who got their envelope. (laughs) Celebrate. (laughs) It's already done. Wouldn't that be nice? Boy, it'd be nice if somebody told you it was already done. I got news for you. You're not the first person to ever feel that way. Case in point, Psalm 22. This is crazy. I don't even know if I can read this without losing my mind. little intro first to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn. It was like a popular song when David wrote this. So I want you to do this one like that one. A Psalm of David. If you're from church, you'll recognize these words. Somebody greater than David borrowed some of this psalm on a very important day. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers and mothers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. Surround me. The bulls of Bashan were symbolic in Judaism at that time for a great and powerful evil. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when she cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Woo, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself, herself alive, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Thank God for Psalm 22. I never preached this psalm in my life. The whole psalm is basically about the same thing. <clears throat> I'm in trouble. Yet you have something else in mind. <clears throat> Things are looking pretty, uh, pretty rough. Yet you have plans for a big finish. I feel dead as a doornail. Yet you are making all things new. Yet you is the governing idea. For this reading of Psalm 22, yet you, and in today's sermon, you'll find four things, five, four, four, you'll find four things you can count on from God to help see you through the difficulties of the now. First, I got to say this, though, based on this Psalm, nobody's got it easy. Applicable point from this. You're not the only one. (laughs) As with any great passage of Scripture, we could quit and go home right there. One point is good enough. I'll take that to the bank and use it all week. I'm not the only one for whom life has taken a difficult turn. Friend, you're not the only one for whom life in the now is sometimes difficult. It's not just you. Look at verse 1. My God... My God, Eli, Eli, why hast thou forsaken me? Lama sabachthani. You ever felt forsaken? Yeah, me too. Grade 9 basketball. We just moved back from Israel where I grew up as a missionary's kid. I was playing basketball, which is really fun. In Israel, we play two sports, soccer and basketball. That's it. We also play Fight the Arab, but that is impolite. I won't talk about that. (laughs) And if you're an Arab, I love you now in the Lord. But when I was an Israeli kid growing up indoctrinated in the Israeli school system, man, not a week went by where I was not picking fights. Most of the time they were picking fights with me because I was blonde, blue-eyed, and fabulous. (laughs) I ought to whoop that kid. No one should be that good looking and get away with it. Help me, Lord. Literally, I got in a fight every week of my life. I moved back to the gentle west and get in a fight. Didn't know what to do with myself, so I took up football. Helped me a lot. Helped me a lot. Hmm. Grade nine, so we moved back from Israel. I'm playing basketball like a linebacker. 
It's a game against our arch rivals. We're living in London. We were so broke that we had to live in the manse of my dad's friend's church. We were so broke we didn't have like the holder for your cutlery. We didn't have cutlery. We were just so broke we slept on the floor. It's crazy. So I'm playing basketball. Ball goes up. Karen's off the rim. I jump up to get the rebound. Some kid takes out my legs. I, I used to be able to dunk, so I was pretty high in the air. Took out my legs and from, I don't know, I mean, I was four feet up, fell, not four feet, three feet up, fell on my left wrist, right from the air, right on my wrist. Pow! Broke it. It was so broken, it looked like a roller coaster. It was kind of like, like one of those things. It was crazy. Here's where it gets stupid. They take me into the locker room. Game's still going on. They call my parents. They're like, um, we think something might be wrong with your son. Wait for it. We need you to come get him. And then they left the room and went back to coaching the game. It's true, the school system is a kinder and gentler place today than it used to be. They left me in that locker room with a wrist that looks like a roller coaster for at least half an hour until my parents showed up. To that point in my life and to this day, because it's the first example that came to mind. I had several other, but they would make you feel very uncomfortable if I shared them. It's the most forsaken I've ever felt. It hurts so bad. When they said it, I actually passed out. They gave me morphine, but they gave me like a child's dose, and I was, I don't know, 5'10", 155. They should have given me a man's dose. I'll never forget. They set my wrist, and I passed out. Screamed and passed out. Most forsaken I ever felt. If you've ever felt forsaken, David here in Psalm 22 is reminding you that you're not the only one. He felt forsaken too. Causing him to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I point out who he's calling out to? Do you notice this? This It's beautiful. You might miss it because it's such a simple point. My God. He's calling out, receive it. He's calling out to someone he knows. I'll preach good right there. He's calling out to somebody he knows. My God. Sometimes God seems far away because you are. People often cry out to God in extremis. Car accident, last second, they cry out, My God. Disaster strikes, they cry out, My God. So they've never called out to him ever before. He's not their friend. Does that mean he doesn't answer? No, sometimes he does answer. Why? Because his mercy is massive. His grace is huge. And so sometimes he answers the call of someone who's never called to him before. But as I read the words of David, God's friend, who though he was God's friend, found himself in such dire straits that hey, he had to call out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm reminded to tell you that you should stop living far from God. That you should instead come close and kiss him. And did you know that that's the root definition of worship? In the New Testament, whenever the word worship shows up, it's this in the Greek, proskuneo. Pros, to come close. Kuneo, to kneel and kiss. 
Come close, kneel, and kiss the Son. Worship Him. Stop living far from God. Come close and kiss Him. What's interesting is that sometimes, even when you're God's friend, you'll feel like David, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. God seems far to him. He's troubled by day, and he can't sleep at night. Can anybody relate? (laughs) You've been through seasons like this? Can't stop thinking about it. Can't sleep at night. Your days are miserable. I've got to tell you, I've been there too. I know exactly how that feels. And so did King David. King David, he's the king of Israel. He's the most powerful man for miles around. At this point in his life, he's got everything anyone could ever ask for. And yet he finds himself so deeply troubled, so bereft and alone, that his days are a misery and he can't sleep at night. Everybody's in trouble. That's the point. Everybody's in trouble. My mom was real good with this growing up. Whenever I get upset at somebody, she would command me to stop. She would tell me to keep in mind that everybody has a story. And she would literally say things like, son, as far as you know, maybe his wife just left him. And that's why he's driving like a jerk. I still struggle with this. I was mad in the car the other day. My wife was like, you're really crazy. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's in trouble. So stop judging. You ever guilty of judging somebody as grumpy? Or as hard to deal with? I have. When they could be walking through a dark night of the soul so profound that it's a miracle that they're on their feet. Stop judging. And if it's you who's broken and destroyed right now, stop feeling so isolated and alone. Because you're not the only one. And stop feeling guilty like somehow it's your fault. The beauty of the story of Jesus is that God the Father has placed on Him the iniquities of us all, which means He bore our guilt. Which means when you allow yourself to feel guilty today, You're literally wasting not only your time, but God's time. You're literally wasting the sufferings of God the Son on the cross. He already bore your guilt. He already bore your shame. This is not your fault. Stop judging. Stop feeling isolated and guilty. And, I'm working on it. Be nice. (laughs) Be nice comes easier to some of you than it does to others. It's easier for my wife to be nice than it is for me. It's just true. I'm working on it, though. Be nice. Because people have a long road. Why should you do all this? Because here's your first point out of four. Because you can count on His holiness. That's why you should do all of this. Because you can count on His holiness. Look at verse 3. Yet you. huh? Here's our first yet you. Yet you receive it, are holy, enthroned, 
on the praises of Israel. This is beautiful. Life is hard, but the holy God who loves you is king, and he sits down on your praises. Y'all receive that? You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You feeling beat down? Start worshiping like your life depends on it. I don't, I don't like singing, though. I really don't. I'm just not a singing person. Isn't there more to worship than singing? Yes, there is. But a huge part of worship is singing. All throughout the Bible. God's people singing to God. God's creatures singing to God. God's creation singing to God. I always love when Jesus in the New Testament responding to the religious elite who are rebuking his followers because they're a little out of control. Guys, if these should keep silent, even the rocks will cry out. I always think about a rock when I'm getting my praise on. I think I will not let a rock outpraise me. <laughs> now look, <clears throat> you may not be there yet, and if that's you, it's okay. I still love you. Hope you still love me. None of us are you know, perfect. None of us have arrived. But I'm not going to stop beating this drum. I'm just not. You see, your me is part of a very big we with a profound history. I could have wrapped those lines. Look at verses 4 through 5. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Why do I point out that David is appealing here to the long history of the Jewish people? Because I want to point out to you that when it comes to relationship with God, the ground rules are already set. You do not get to dictate the terms. Y'all hear me? We do not get to dictate the terms. We don't get to say, that's not my preference. We don't get to say, I'm not in the mood. We don't get to say, I'm just not wired that way. Your me is part of a very, very big we. With a profound history. You want to be God's friend? You don't get to dictate the terms of the relationship. And this should not just be a rebuke. It should be tremendously encouraging as well. Why? Because even when you don't feel like you can, you can know that your fathers and your mothers trusted in God. So in the same way that you should allow yourself to be carried along with the wave of worship until you find that wave spilling out of your heart in the corporate context, you should allow yourself and can give yourself permission to allow the faith of others to pull you along with it as together with them you march as one of the many of God's people the long road to Zion. Point being, you don't have to do it all yourself. Somebody shout. You know, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Our spiritual parents trusted in God. They cried out to him and he came through. Number two of four, you can trust his track record. You can trust his track record. Okay, listen, get a hold of this. This is awesome. God's batting a thousand in the faithfulness department. (laughs) Right now, aren't you thinking about all the bad things that have happened to you right now? I am. And yet the scriptures promise us, Behold, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, quoting Deuteronomy 31.6. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when really bad things happen. What's the worst story in the Bible? In your opinion. Shout it out. Worst story in the Bible. Job, exactly. Job is the worst story in the Bible. I mean, the sacking of the city of Ai is pretty bad also, but maybe obscure. <laughs> Job. Most scholars think it's the oldest book in the Bible. Go back and read it. Dude lost everything. And he coined this most famous of all famous phrases. You probably know what I'm going to say. Though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. This is the simple cry of faithful Christianity throughout all time. Taken from Job 13.5. And here's what's beautiful about this. The deeper the waters you've been through, the more you know that this is true. Right? Exactly. So life sucks at the time. Didn't I say life is difficult in the now? And it is. It is difficult in the now. It's dark in the now. But as you walk through that now, safe in Jesus' embrace, you will come to the point where you go, now I'm not saying this in vain, so don't send me angry letters. Oh my God. That's what that was about. Now, wait for it. We're going to layer some theology on this in a second. First, let's look at verses 6 through 8. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Who else loves Handel's Messiah besides me? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. (laughs) Oh, I love it. For he delights in him. I will stand up. You should see me at Hans Messiah. Maybe you don't want to come with me. My wife stopped coming with me years ago. There's Pastor Todd. All right. That's where that comes from. He trusted in God. Let him. Let him deliver him. For he delights in him. What's interesting here is that in David's suffering, we see a picture of Christ's suffering. For those of you who know Jesus, have you heard all the references from Matthew 27 throughout Psalm 22? 
Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their head. Matthew 27, 39, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Psalm 22, 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. So you can look at this two ways. I grant that there's a skeptical way to look at this. You can say the writer of the book of Matthew was aware of Psalm 22 and layered in the key elements from Psalm 22 into his account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay, that's how critical liberal scholarship would approach this. I respect that. I understand it intellectually. But methinks he doth protest too much because I sit at my desk and I think about Jesus, the king of glory on a cross, one who was called son of David, one who was second member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure, sure as faith is sure, that God the Son was listening to every word as God the Holy Spirit inspired King David to sing these words. So as Jesus hung on that cross, he was not just reciting from memory because he had studied the Torah. But he was bending words for redemptive purposes because he knew that one day you would hear them preached today. How do I know? Because not only are you connected to Jesus through words, watch it, this will preach real good. You're not just connected to him through words. I got to flex, I'm sorry. They don't let me shout anymore, so I got to flex. If you ever wonder, why is he flexing all the time? Because they forbade me to shout. So, so I got to express my energy some way. I'm sore all Sunday afternoon, sitting on my couch going, help me, Lord, help me, Jesus. Just understand what I'm doing, right? This guy's really weird. No, it's because I'm not. Notice I almost don't shout anymore. I send the energy somewhere else. <laughs> Woo! Help me, Jesus. You're not. Woo! I can hardly do it. You're not just connected to him through his words. You are connected to him through your suffering. You are connected to Jesus through your suffering. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might also bring us to God. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like 
like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Give him praise. I made it. I didn't even shout once. That's the best thing I've preached in maybe three years. When I saw this in the text, I had to like jump up and run a few laps. Your suffering connects you to Jesus, the great sufferer. Why is he the great sufferer? Because in the fullness of time, Jesus, who's God the Son, made flesh, went to a cross to suffer and die in your place for your sin. And not just for your sin, but for mine also. And indeed for the sins of the world. The scriptures teach that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Which means God the Father punished God the Son for the sins of the world. Which is why only God the Son could have made atonement for us. Because only God the Son was God in a body. Fully God and fully man. Only he was big enough to take that much weight upon himself. And he died. Which is why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because as our sins hung upon him, he was... Can you imagine how filthy our Jesus was made? As he hung there with the sins of all the world throughout all time on him. And God, his father, with whom he had perfect, unbroken relationship with from before all time, turned his back on God the Son and figuratively walked away. Which is why Jesus cried out, Eli! Eli! Lama Sabachthani! And Jesus died. The one who spoke everything that is into being died. If you read Matthew's account, it's crazy. The earth shook, the graves were opened. Dead were raised and walked into Jerusalem. So cataclysmic was this event. The temple, which had a curtain in it that was by some accounts two feet thick, ripped from top to bottom as the holiest place was exposed. The sky was dark. It's like the hinge of history when the king of glory laid down his life for you and for me. But he didn't stay dead. Oh. The third day he rose again victorious, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. Oh. Then he ascended to his father's right hand, sat down in victory, a place where he sits now, interceding for you, a place from whence he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. Well, why would he do such a thing for me? Because he made you. I'm going to go like five minutes over time, just so you know. I'll stop it on September 2nd. September 9th. I'll stop it on September 9th. When we go back to two services. Look at verses 9 through 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. He's been with you from your first moment of existence. Point number three. 
you can count on his authorship. Y'all receive that. You can count on the fact that when it comes to your life, he is the author and finisher. He's the Alpha and Omega. And he is with you. Even in the worst case scenario. Which David outlines in verses 11 through 18. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Symbolizing evil, power, darkness. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. Poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is melted like wax. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. And they weren't domesticated dogs in this day and age. They were wild dogs. A company of evildoers encircle me. They've pierced my hands and my feet like they did to Jesus. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them like they did with Jesus. And from my clothing they cast lots. David had it bad. Jesus had it worst. Applicable point for you and me. Keep in mind, the next time you're suffering, you're not suffering once for all. You're not paying the price of the sins of the world. You're just not. Keep Jesus in mind. Keep things in perspective. Even when you face death, keep Jesus in mind. Keep things in perspective. Because what did he do with death? (laughs) He crushed it. (laughs) Like he crushed the head of the serpent. (laughs) He danced on its head. (laughs) He spun around in that tomb. He came out with joy like a calf released from the stalls. (laughs) Full of joy and power. Hungry, he's eating. He's walking through walls. He's visiting with his friends. Oh, he's welcoming his friends. Oh, even when you face death, you keep Jesus in mind. You keep things in perspective. I mean, somebody help me. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm dying up here, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so, leads me to point number four. You can count on his proximity. I'm almost done. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Worship team, I'm done, and it ends like it, it's, yeah, so y'all come, come see me. <clears throat> you see how you can count on his proximity from the text here? But you, O Lord, it's the last yet you, except now they use the word but you. Same word in the Hebrew. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid, which is exactly what has happened in Christ. What's happened in Christ? In Christ, God has come near. One of the names of Christ is Immanuel, with us God, in Christ, God has come near for the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is why you should worship Him with 
all you've got and live life to the fullest as you wait with confidence for a very big finish. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him. But He has heard when He cried out to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive posterity shall serve him it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it you want to know how to deal with your difficult now here we go Here's how you deal with your difficult now. You tell it about Jesus. You praise Jesus in front of it. You fear Jesus instead of it. You make Jesus the weightiest thing in your life, not your present circumstances. You stand in awe of him, not of your problems. You remember that he doesn't hate you. He's not hiding from you or ignoring you. In fact, when you praise him, he's helping you do it. So obey him. Seek him at all times. And remember, you're on the winning team your heart is going to live forever and the whole world's going to remember him and what it truly means to worship one day and everybody's going to bow the knee to king jesus who will be served by every future generation and whose fame will be so great that it'll be proclaimed to a people who are not yet born also you tell your difficult now one more thing you tell it it's already done 